0: Anyway, thank you, Lyndon, and uh, Kyrie and Young adults. Wow, that's so excited. Anyone that doesn't get involved in that needs to. Um, <laughs> and uh, by the way, singing that song, You're Beautiful, if you have not been for a walk in the woods in the last seven days, you need to go out. If you haven't got any muddy boots or anything, just get yourself to Lister Park. The trees are stunning. I went for a walk this morning with my dog Bonnie as I do regularly and tried to have a prayer time but most of it was just wow, wow, wow. Isn't he amazing? But just what he does. So we're carrying on our series of knowing Jesus which I've absolutely um, loved, obviously I'm very involved as one of the preachers that's been on this and I want to talk today about how Jesus equips the called rather than calls the equipped. And you will see that this kind of has quite a bit in common with some of what Joseph has been talking about, about the humanity of Jesus and the man that he was. You'll see it has some stuff in common with the scandalous Jesus that I talked about a few weeks back. And if you notice a the theme, that's probably a good thing because there is a theme. It does all fit together because we're reading from the same Bible and we're learning about the same person who was Jesus Christ, who was God incarnate, God in flesh. So, I want to try and take you back back to where you had to put your PE kit on and run out onto the sports field. Can you remember that? Remember those days? Do you remember that as you kind of all gathered around and it was about to be, you're about to be split into teams and the PE teacher basically normally chose two of the best players and said, your captain and your captain, right, now pick your teams. (laughs) For some of you, That was a really, really unpleasant experience, yeah? Maybe for some of us, looking at you Wayne, maybe not so much, apart from maybe when it was the cricket, I don't know, selection. But for many of us, as you kind of like stood there, what you did was you started to kind of like eye the people around you and try and work out who was worse than you, yeah? (laughs) Do you remember that moment? You tried to work out, there must be someone here who's worse at football than me, there must be someone who's worse at tennis, rounders, cricket, hockey, whatever it was, rugby, whatever it was that you did, there must be somebody and you were hoping that you weren't going to be one of the last two and you especially were hoping that you weren't going to be one of the very last people. For many people, and still today, an excruciating experience where your total incompetence and inadequacy at sport was displayed for all the world to see. So, if you cast your mind back to 2010 when this guy was the England manager, not oh, Jesus, <laughs> a guy called Fabio Capello was the England football manager. And, uh, You know, when he was choosing his team there was no chance on earth that he was going to be choosing this guy, okay? Some people recognise this guy, Jamie Vardy, Vardy. thank you very much. Jamie Vardy was 23, he should have been entering his prime as a footballer, really starting to smash into the scene. However. Jamie Vardy was a, what they call a non-league footballer, somebody that doesn't get to play in the top four leagues. And so when Fabio Capello came on to choose his England team for the 2010 World Cup, these were some of the strikers he had to choose from. Okay, we've got Wayne Rooney, total and utter England legend. We had Jermaine Defoe up there, um, England's legendary substitute. And um, and, and Peter Crouch, England legend for being the most unlikely looking footballer, and doing (laughs) the best celebration ever in English football history. Now, if, for example, Fabio had been choosing his team by getting all the players together and going, Oh, which one shall I have? You know, similar to how we will experience in games at school. If Jamie Vardy had been stood there alongside Rooney and Crouch and Defoe, people would have been, (coughs) What's he doing here? Why is he even in? And tell you what, he he would have been stood there and he would not have been going, Oh, I'm going to get picked last, I'm going to get picked last. This is so embarrassing. Because he was so, so far off being picked. He was an absolute. Nobody. There is no way he, should, he, he shouldn't have even been picked for a, a Premier League team or a championship team, never mind the England team. He would have been an absolute joke if he had been picked to play for England in 2010, because he was playing for Halifax in non-league football. But had he been chosen? Had he been chosen in 2010? It would have been a brilliant example of how Jesus chose his disciples. It would have been a stunning example of what Jesus did nearly 2,000 years ago. Now, anyone who follows any kind of football will know that he didn't stay at Halifax Town. No. Somebody, somebody saw that he had potential. Somebody saw that he was not a waste of space. Somebody saw that he had it in him that he could go on and he could be spectacular. Fast forward it, six years, he was winning the Premier League title with Leicester City, which was phenomenal. He has been picked for England, scoring goals for England, smashing Southampton off the park on Friday night. You know, when Jesus went to pick his team, He didn't pick the superstars. In footballing terms, he didn't pick the Ronaldos, he didn't pick the Messies. He picked the Jamie Vardis. He picked the people who were struggling in the lower leagues to prove that they had something to give. Those were the people that Jesus chose. Now to get a bit of understanding about how Jesus kind of chose his disciples, we're gonna look at this this morning. You need to understand a little bit about how Jewish children were educated back then, okay? Be precise. Jewish boys were educated back then. Because that was pretty much who they educated. So by the age of six, this is stunning by the way, I'm sure some of you know the old Bible verse or two off by heart, yeah? Don't worry, I'm not going to come and ask you to repeat anyone. Most of you would probably start with John 3.16, for God's sake. i <laughs> Jewish boys would have been to school. By the age of six, they would normally have memorized the first five books of the Bible, by the age of six. And by the age of 10, there was a little bit of sorting went on. And they started to try and work out who are the people that have got what it takes to go on and be kind of the most spiritual ones in the community. And so by the age of 10, the best of the best went on to the next stage of school and learning the faith, learning the history, and learning kind of like the ways of God as they understood them. The rest of the kids around the age of 10 you're like, you're not making the grade. They went and started to learn the family business. So around the age of 10, they went to start to learn the family business, which is quite amazing, isn't it? You even think of us sending our 10-year-olds off to go and learn to be, whatever it was, a, uh, a carpenter or a farmer or something like that. They carried on. So the best of the best carried on. They then normally went on to learn the rest of the scriptures. The first five books of the Bible, Memorised, taught, got. They went on to learn the rest of the, of the, kind of the Jewish scriptures, um, the prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs, all of that. And then around about the age of, kind of 15, 16, there was another kind of reaping, as it were, of taking the best of the best of the best. And these were the ones that were showing the very, very best potential that they could go on to become the future teachers of Israel, the future teachers of the Jewish people. And it would be at that moment that these boys, normally around the age 15, 16, 17, that they would apply to become a disciple of of what they would call a rabbi. A rabbi was a teacher, recognized by the community as a spiritual teacher. So up to six, learn the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Those that weren't showing too much promise, okay, by the age of 10, they were in the family business. Around 15, 16, they started to work out who are the best of the best of the best. And those would then go to try and find a rabbi who would take them in and teach them the ways of God. When that happened, it was a significant moment in their life. A moment where they had to leave much of what they had behind in terms of security. They went to live kind of with the rabbi, they went to follow the rabbi, they went to kind of observe how the rabbi walked, how they talked, that the things that they taught and explained around the scriptures. They were the people who were being trained up to be the very, very top of this particular tree. It's hard to imagine what it's like to follow a rabbi in today's society. It's hard to imagine leaving it all behind. It's hard to imagine, um, kind of, in our hard, time-pressed culture, just the amount of time it would have taken to just be with, a teacher, to be with a rabbi, and to be listening constantly and learning. Everyone else left to ply the family trade. Now what's interesting, and there's just a little bit of speculation here, but interestingly, Jesus, there's no evidence, biblical evidence, that Jesus himself ever became a disciple of a rabbi of another teacher. I'm pretty sure that wasn't because he wasn't one of the best of the best of the best. I'm pretty sure it's because God knew that he didn't want him to be aligned to just one person's teaching because he had a new message and a new commandment that he was bringing. But interestingly, therefore, at the age of 15, 16, maybe even at the age of 10, although we do see some evidence that he was reasonably well learned at the age of 12 when he spoke in the temple. But anyway, at some point in his teen years, he was like, I'm not continuing with this learning business. I'm going to go and do my family business. And he followed his father's stepfather's trade. He chose his stepfather, of course, not his biological father. Which, as Josie referenced the other week, so when Jesus started talking, when Jesus started sharing wisdom, this is what the people said. He said, Where did this man get his wisdom? Because they'd have known who the disciples of the rabbis were. They'd have seen them from the age of 16, 17, kind of growing in their wisdom, growing in their knowledge, following the rabbis around. It would be obvious these were the boys who were going to become the leaders of the future. don't remember seeing Jesus following anyone, do you? Do you remember seeing Jesus? I don't remember. I think he'd just be making chairs and stuff with his dad. Yeah? Or maybe working on the on, on, on the city to the north of, of where he lived, where the... the the Romans were building on a massive city. So where did this man get his wisdom? And these miraculous powers? isn't this the carpenter's son? You would not have been seen as someone who had been taught and trained. So for the best of the best of the best, they got to follow a rabbi, to become a disciple of that rabbi. Jesus. So the way a rabbi would choose their disciples would actually be the disciple in waiting. So I'm 15, I'm 16, I've kind of learnt my Torah, I've learnt my prophets, I've learnt all of the Old Testament scriptures. i approached approach a rabbi and I said, Rabbi, can, can I be your disciple? Normally at that moment the rabbi would put you through a load of tests. Let's see what you know then, boy. Yeah? Let's see, how do you understand the scriptures? Let's talk about it. And they would have done that. And at that moment, they thought, yeah, you are somebody who's got what it takes. They'd have said this term. They'd have said, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And they would have left their father, their mother, their household, and they would have followed that rabbi and become Jesus it was a different approach people mostly did not come to Jesus saying can't be your disciple in the early stages for the obvious reason that he did not have a reputation as a rabbi he had not been seen growing up as a disciple of a rabbi and therefore he was not in anyone's kind of view that this is someone who's going to be one of the teachers of Israel and so for Jesus it was different for Jesus he just went out and beat people. They didn't say, can I be your disciple? He just went out and he used this famous phrase that all the rabbis used because it was so well-known of come follow me. If you can put yourself back in that sports field, back with those really short shorts on, <laughs> especially those of us that were doing it in the 80s. Imagine standing there as this captain stepped up and he had to choose his team, and he chose that maths geek, yeah, who everyone knows cannot kick a ball in a straight line, yeah. Some of you were that kid. It's okay. <laughs> Run into his arms. Chose genuinely. I like, but you know, the ribbon that the overweight kid got at school. And then left behind with the shame and the embarrassment and all that because you wouldn't be able to keep up. It was like those were the people that Jesus picked. It was like, why would you pick them? Why would you pick them? Every other rabbi picking the best of the best of the best. Not Jesus. He didn't call the equipped. The equipped the called. He didn't call the qualified. But he qualified the called. Just a little bit about the people. So a few different accounts of Jesus calling disciples. Not everyone's calling makes it into the scriptures. But we know there's an awful lot that happened that didn't make it into the written account. Did you know the first few disciples that Jesus called were actually disciples of John the Baptist? Which is an interesting thing. So clearly Jesus saw that they had something about them that knew that where God was at work. We see this in um, John's Gospel in chapter 1. I'm going to read it quickly so I'm not putting it up on the screen. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, and pointed, John did, look, the Lamb of God. Then the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Turning round right to them, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? They said, rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and he spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. <laughs> like that's helpful. But I <laughs> just love little bits so, of it was about four in the afternoon. Oh, that's good. That clears that up then. Uh, you know, I was wondering if it was the morning. You know, was it night time? They had tea? I don't know. Oh, it's four in the afternoon. <laughs> One of you is a real biblical scholar and knows the deep significance of it being four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, and who had followed Jesus. So Andrew was following John the Baptist, and then he started to follow Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, "We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ." And he brought him to Jesus. He went, "Simon, you can't be this guy. You can't be him." Jesus looked at him. He said, "You are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas." Which, when translated, is Peter, which also when translated means rock. Or rocky, if you're boxing that. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. So I've come out a little bit and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave for Galilee. And so he finds Philip. And he says to Philip, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Erseda. And Philip went and found the atop him. And the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. <laughs> Nazareth? <laughs> Nazareth? <laughs> like, it's basically like, you're having a laugh. Can <laughs> anything good come from there? Come and see, he said Philip. And Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he, he said of him, Hear truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, which is a reference to Jacob, I'm not going to go into it. How do you know me, Nathanael, asked? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So these are some of the examples. Philip and Nathanael being called by Jesus to come and follow him. We see another account of Simon and Andrew being called. Because you could argue that this kind of wasn't the calling. This was just Andrew getting close to Jesus, introducing his brother to Jesus, but not the actual calling. The calling is much more famous. We You'll probably be aware of it if you've read, read much of the Bible. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And this was the moment, he said what well, all rabbis said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That's a metaphor, by the way. <laughs> Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, Boyne, and his brother, John. It's a joke for everyone my age and a bit older. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father. They left the boat. They left their father. Peter and Andrew left their nets. They just left it. They gave it all up and they followed him. Fishermen. We don't know exactly how high up the hierarchy they got. We definitely know they weren't the best of the best of the best. were they the best of the best? We don't really know. There's a chance, especially given that some of them are following John, but they were definitely not the best of the best of the best. Because if they were, they would not have be been fishing. They would not have be been fishing. They were doing their father's trade. And the fact that James and John were still with their dad tells us that they were probably really still quite young. They were apprentices. 16, 17, 18. I still find that stunning that Jesus is calling his first disciples at the age of 16, 17, and 18. And if you're in this room and you're under the age of 25 and you think one day I'm going to start living for Jesus, you need to know that when you're 16, 17, and 18, Jesus was already calling you to live full on for him. We know that as fishermen they would not have been really, really well educated, which is why in the book of Acts when it says they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realised they were unschooled, ordinary men. So who Jesus' followers were. One other small example of Jesus calling someone. Again, I referenced this in my last talk a few weeks back. Jesus went on from there. This is Matthew 9.9. 9. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. You know, we can't unpack it too much, but that was that was basically like visiting kind of local Alcoholics Anonymous or local paedophile anonymous or whatever and saying, Do you want to come and be my disciple? Do you want to come and follow me? It was that extreme and that outrageous. Then there are the other five disciples, or apostles as they often get called. We don't know much about their calling, in fact, we don't know much about a lot of them. They don't really feature that much in the stories. There's Thomas, famous for doubting. Well, famous for asking questions. I think that's a much more healthy way of saying it, really, is it? Famous for asking questions. James the Less, just not as important as the other James. <laughs> Probably smaller. Um, Thaddeus, also known as Judas. But hey, if your name was Judas, you'd go by Thaddeus, wouldn't you? Um, Simon the Zealot, I'll talk about him in a minute, and Judas Iscariot. Simon the Zealot was basically a freedom fighter. And we know the saying, one man's freedom fighter, another man's terrorist. Yeah. One man's freedom fighter, another man's terrorist. Simon would have been seen as a terrorist by the Roman authorities, but as a freedom fighter by those that were zealous for the coming of the kingdom of God in kind of fighting for... Jesus could not have called a much less equipped group of people. You're about to start a movement that you believe will turn the world... Upside down. Everybody else is picking for their team the best of the best of the best. And you're picking a whole team of Jamie Vardy's. You're picking a whole team of non-league players who have not displayed that much ability. You're picking uneducated fishermen to come and work with you. you. You then go out and you pick this freedom fighter, Simon, And you pick Matthew, the tax collector, who could not have hated each other more. Simon could not have hated Matthew much more because Matthew was everything Simon hated about the Roman occupation. And not only that, he was a traitor and he was one of ours. He even picked someone who he would have known in advance was going to betray him, was probably going to steal, was going to do all that stuff. He couldn't have been much further from the best of the best of the best when he chose his people. Now please, if you're sitting here and you're really clever and really well-educated, Jesus does still call you. There's biblical evidence that he totally does that. When he called Paul, who was originally Saul of Tarsus, he picked a really, really well-educated person who was the best of the best of the best. don't think he calls you because you're so freaking clever. No. He calls you because he loves you. He's got a plan for you. So often in church when we're looking for leadership we want to follow the most educated, the most eloquent, the most brilliant. That wasn't who Jesus chose to start his movement with. One of the most important things that Jesus was trying to get over here was just how much he believes in us. Now I'm guessing that there's a load of people here in the room who believe in Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> you believe in Jesus. You need to start knowing that Jesus believes. Jesus believes in you. I'm going to say this direct. I'm going to say it strong. Too many of you, too many of us, including myself at times, absolutely, we don't think we've got what it takes. We don't think what we've got, we've got what it takes to be the disciple of Jesus that that he calls us to be. Some of you you are not educated enough to be a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ I hope I've proven to you from the biblical text this morning that you couldn't be further from the truth you couldn't be further from the truth some of you think you're too young you couldn't be further from the truth some of you think you're not confident enough you couldn't be further from the truth. Can you imagine Jesus picking these people and sending them out, would they have felt confident to go out and start preaching the kingdom of heaven? Would they have had confidence in their ability to preach it and proclaim it? Ah, because they're all the best of the best of the best were doing that as well and they had to go up against. They would not have confidence. Someone who had just got a 21st century disease, you think you haven't got enough time to you, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Whatever else we've got on, we have time. I'm going to ask for a bit of a response in a moment. So I believe there are two issues at stake here. I believe there are some of you, you've disqualified yourself, be that your past, be that your lack of education, be that your age, be that your personality, be that you are not like this, I'm not like or whatever, but you have disqualified yourself. You're not. In fact, the fact that you believe you're disqualified makes you perfect for Jesus to use. Those are the very people he went after and selected to be in his dream team to see this world changed and turned upside down. There's another group. It's not so much that you have thought that about yourself and made yourself off. It's that actually, I mentioned it earlier, either you've just, you've become a Christian. You said, yeah, I do believe in Jesus. I do turn away from my old life. I do go to church. So I'm there and I'm not. No. Jesus says, come, follow me. Leave it all, lay it down, give me your whole life. And some of you need to make that next step. Having become a Christian, you need to say, actually, I am now going to become a follower my whole life devoted to living for Jesus. And some of you have been in that place before. you let it slip if you did an honest inventory you know it's become a bit of a box ticking exercise of turning up to church every now and then the occasional time of prayer and all of that but surely that's all God requires of me and it's like we're so busy are we not we're so busy but Jesus still says to you please don't fall into that rut going through the motions of Christianity. He has so much more for you. And he's calling you this morning. He's calling you to follow him with a radical love for him. A radical love for your neighbor. That is what we see when he calls his disciples, his apostles, his followers. And then what does he tell them to do? He says, right, now go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you to obey. I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to do something that we do from time to time here in the Light Church. We probably all agree really we don't do it enough. And we're going to have a response time where we're going to give people the opportunity to come. Because one thing I know about walking this Christian life... Is there needs to be moments. There needs to be moments where we step up and we make a declaration. We make it in public but we make it to God and we make it to the whole church and we say, no longer that. As we all talked earlier, no longer that. I repent. I leave that behind. I turn away from that and I'm walking in that direction. So I invite those people on the prayer team to kind of join with me and anybody else who's here on part of the leadership um, or part of the ministry team here at CAP.